Welcome to Spotlight Conversations with voice talent and DJ Donna Reed. Donna talks music and media from her sunny linoleum-free studio. Come on in. Hello. Thank you again for joining me for another episode of Spotlight Conversations. Um, If you want to find out more about the podcast, some voiceover work I do, please go to my website, spotcom.com. That's S-P-O-T-C-O-M-M.com. You ready? Okay. Today, I am talking to Phil Zachary, who I worked with and worked for at WRDU 106 in Raleigh, North Carolina, one of the heritage rock stations. And he's done a lot of things in radio since then. So I'm going to talk to him today about the days of RDU, working in North Carolina radio, what he's doing now, and uh, even a little bit about the business of radio. First of all, Welcome, Phil. Thanks so much for being a part of Spotlight Conversations today. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Don. It's great to catch up with you again. It's good to, good to hear your voice. Now, we go all the way back to Voyager Communications, WRDU yeah. 106. Wow, what a station to launch. Well, you were launching stations before then, but um, and then to Curtis Media at QDR. What are you yeah. doing now? Well, as you said, I work for Saga Communications. I'm actually market president here in uh, in Portland. We have uh, eight FM stations, and uh, it's uh, it's a company that I've known of for a long time, and uh, I've always admired Ed Christian and the way he runs his company. It's a publicly held company, but it's run in a very very family like way, like the aforementioned Voyager and Curtis Media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ed is a is a real fan of radio. He's been he's been a radio guy forever. And uh, and they also happen to have the, uh, the the best stock price of any of the publicly held companies in radio, and that includes Intercom, and includes iHeart, includes Cumulus, and uh, and Beasley, and the rest. So he's got a he's got a good thing going that a lot of people don't know about, and it's primarily because Ed has chosen to focus in what I would call the mid-major and smaller markets. Okay. So he's in places like Norfolk and Milwaukee and Columbus, which are good, solid mid-major top thirty markets. And then places like Des Moines and Portland and Charleston, South Carolina, you know, just great, uh, good-sized cities growing like crazy, and uh, but not as vulnerable as some of those bigger markets are. You know, for instance, to, to if something should happen to oil, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, Texas, Texas gets in trouble real quickly, mm-hmm. and most of these markets that that Saga is in are very diverse uh, in terms of their uh, population and their industrial complex and. Uh, and so on the economy. So he's actually performed very, very well over the last 25 years. And I was considering, frankly, radio had changed so much, and I was considering really leaving the business. It's been good to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've worked for phenomenal stations. I've worked with great people. It's just been a dream. But it's changed a lot. And um, uh, I really thought about getting out. And then when Ed called me, uh, and I said, you know, I really don't want to retire. But I don't want to do radio the way I had been for the last few years. And he said, that's not how we do things here. Uh, and he said, this is radio as you remember it. And he said, we're loyal to what radio is all about. And, and we're well-versed in the strengths of radio and, and how it motivates consumers. And we're not trying to be anything but what we are. And that really resonated with me. Uh, and so I joined them uh, back in uh, early summer. And it's been a, it's been a great ride so far. It sounds like Voyager and um, Curtis Media just back home is yeah. where you're going to. And you're coming from Intercom, yeah. is that right? Yes, yeah. No, and it is. It's very much. Look, you mentioned WRDU. I, there's no comparison 
in terms of what that station accomplished, the staff we had there, um, the things that we did mm. in in that city, which happened to be growing right beneath our very feet. You right. know, Raleigh was just white hot and on mm-hmm. fire. Um, you know, everything just came together there. Supportive ownership, great staff, a great signal, great format. Uh, you know, it was a it was a great market, and that's tough to duplicate. You know, Donna, most people never have the opportunity to work in a circumstance like that. And you and I did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's kind of the standard by which I've, uh, I've judged all the others before and since. To say those are difficult to find, they're, they're almost impossible anymore. But how can you recreate? If you, had a, if you could do anything you wanted, how could you recreate that feeling of family within a community, within a small City. Well, at the time it was small, but everybody was growing within Raleigh. How can you recreate that? It's difficult to do today because of the financing. You know, mm-hmm. the, the valuations of radio stations are all upside down. And so when you buy a radio station, um, you've, you're already behind the eight ball b- because if it's a turnaround, and that was a startup, you know, WRDU was a move-in from Wilson, North Carolina. And uh, so, you know, it was purchased for a relatively low amount of money and then moved, I want to say, 30 miles in to Raleigh to become a player in a city that was rapidly growing. And so the investment return proposition was pretty strong. Today, if you buy a turnaround, um, you 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 now have to invest all this money into staffing it up and promoting it and getting getting it in people's minds and then of course it, their minds are much more cluttered about how they use media today than they were in the 1980s and 1990s and and I, and then you've got to break through to the other side of getting the advertising community to recognize you as a bona fide player, okay. uh, which takes a couple of years, minimally a couple of years, and that's assuming you can you know you can steal ratings away from the existing uh, competitors in the marketplace and so on. It it really is a a multi year process, and most financing arrangements in purchasing licenses don't allow for that anymore. So it's. Uh, almost impossible to do. If you could do it, you would be sure that you had the financing to be able to build it properly and not hold a gun to your own head to have to sell every single commercial for whatever you could get for it on this particular date and time, because that, in essence, is what's killing the radio business right now. It's a race to the bottom on rate. And ultimately, what that does, it manifests itself in everything you can do and everything you can't do. So there's no more research. There's very little marketing. There's, there's no more staff in a lot of places. We were lucky you when know. we were, yeah. Oh, God, we had, a, we had uh, you know, a full-time staff, overnight person. We had two people in our news department, mm-hmm. you remember, for a rock station, right? Mm-hmm. We had phenomenal part-timers. We had marketing, we had billboards and television, and, and it was just, it was the way you ran great radio stations back in the 80s and 90s. And unfortunately, the, the economics today just don't add up to allow for that. And all that stuff's been cut. And that was all, t- that was all happening before COVID. Oh, right, now, right. post-COVID, I mean, good news. I don't know what it's going to look like, uh, you know, at the end of this year. Now, you started in programming. I did not know that about you until years later. You were a DJ. That's how you got into radio. Is that right? College radio? Yeah, as a matter of, right. As a matter of fact, it was, uh, somebody reminded me it was, uh, I guess, 57 years ago tonight, that I caught the Beatles for the first time on the Ed Sullivan show. And I remember I was lying on the floor 
watch. I wanted to watch the wonderful world of Disney uh, uh-huh. in living color, although we didn't have a color TV. I could squint and pretend. And my, my mom was adamant. She said, no, no, we've got to watch Ed Sullivan. And, and my mom and dad loved Ed Sullivan like everybody did uh-huh. back in the 60s because yeah, yeah. that was where you got this whole panoply of, uh, of, uh, of uh, talent, uh, you know, uh, jugglers and comedians and crooners like, uh, you know, uh, Frank Sinatra and Edie Gourmet and people like that. Uh-huh. But he started to dabble a little bit in rock bands and uh, or rock and roll acts, if you will, Elvis and so on. And this was the night that uh, that this, as my mom called it, this British combo was going to appear on Ed Sullivan. And and when they did, everything changed. Uh, and um, I was just I w- I remember Hutch. sitting there. I was I was pouting because we couldn't watch Disney. And then I'm watching this thing, and I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is incredible! I think I was eight or nine years old. And I decided right then and there I was going to be that, whatever that was, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that night everybody decided they were going to play guitar or bass or drums or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I ultimately said I want to be a disc jockey. And I think it took me about two weeks to get to that. So I'm still eight. <laughs> but weeks. I wanted to, yeah, but I wanted to, you know, I was buying records as fast as I could for 49 cents each down at the Woolworths. Yes, and, uh, yes. It was such an exciting time musically because it, that just opened the floodgates. And uh, and so I was glued to the radio, and I was, uh, you know, I just wanted to be those guys. And so that's how it started, and, uh, you know, I talked myself into an internship when I was in college, and it was, you know, taking phone calls on a talk station, and then there was an FM station, WAAF, actually, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a snowstorm one night, and they couldn't get anybody in there. So they called me and asked if I would come in and do morning drive. And I said, you got to be careful. Of course I will. And I remember hanging up the phone. I was in my dorm room, and my roommate said, well, what's that all about? And I said, well, I'm going to be on the air on AAF tomorrow morning. And he said, well, how are you going to get there? <laughs> I had no idea. Everybody else was calling in because of the snowstorm. And I didn't even own a car, let alone the snowstorm. But I ended up catching the bus at 4 a.m. And, and, and went in. And so I had my first paid gig on what happened to be and what turned out to be a legendary station, WAAF, which ironically, years later, I ended up managing uh, for Intercom. So that was kind of a, pr- a pretty cool uh, full circle. But that's how I started and then uh, uh, rapidly moved up into programming. I think I was a program director in Boston when I was 24. I became a GM in New Orleans for Clear Channel when I was 28. So, you know, if there was ever any evidence that this is a business of C students, all you have to do is look at how rapidly I rose because I, there, there's no way I would have moved up that quickly in any other field, oh, quite okay. honestly. Okay. Well, at least uh, you're honest, Phil. That's yeah, good. no, and uh, you know, and so I was I was really fortunate to be given that opportunity when I was very young, and so then I. I fell off the bike many times as a first-time general manager. But even at that, I was the general manager at Q93 in New Orleans, which is another phenomenal radio station, a legendary station. I was a program director there and then became a GM. They had an AM and an FM there, and they made me a GM of one of the stations. And it was uh, it was a real thrill. You know, So I had some great opportunities. I was reading, I did a little digging around, and there were three principles that you apply your work ethic to be a little bit better every day, never be outworked by your competition. You know, if anybody's ever worked with you, we know that about you. But the third one says with organizational trust, anything is possible. So right. what does that mean? Trust is the foundation of everything that you try to accomplish as an organization. In the absence of trust, nothing else is going to happen. If you don't trust 
the mission, if you don't trust uh, your former military, you know that. If you don't trust the leadership, mm-hmm. um, because you're putting yourself in their hands. And, and it may not be your life in this case, but it's certainly your career and it's your reputation and so on. So you have to trust that the people in charge have the correct vision and that they have the wherewithal to be able to achieve that. Um, you know, you need look no further than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what Tom Brady brought to that team. And, you know, I think a lot of people say, well, you know, Brady's overrated and it wasn't just him. Well, that's absolutely right. It was certainly was not him. But all the interviews that I've seen with the Tampa Bay players say that, you know, we have talent. We play in the NFL. You know, we're among the most elite athletes in the world. But it was Tom Brady who came here and showed us, caused us to believe that we could win. And, and, and that's often the difference. It, it really, it's just that belief that you can get there because everybody works hard for the most part. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got talent at that level. Mm-hmm. Every team has a salary cap. So they all have to operate within the same parameters of who they pay and how they pay. So what is it? It's a core belief in the organization from the, from the ownership all the way down to the guy who you know, puts the stickers on the helmets that this can be achieved, that this is doable. The trust is really important. And unfortunately, a lot of that has dissipated over the last 15 or 20 years as a lot of broadcasting companies have had to make very difficult decisions, in many cases decisions they didn't want to make, but that unfortunately they they had to for financial reasons. What's your feeling on the future of radio, streaming, live, terrestrial? You know, well, it, it all comes down to what comes out the speakers, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you, you know, people talk a lot about Rush Limbaugh and the fact that he you know, single-handedly saved AM radio, and that's not a stretch. That is not an exaggeration. Rush Limbaugh saved AM radio because there was programming that he created, there was content that he created that wasn't available anywhere else but AM radio. Subsequently, it moved over to the FM band and then elevated stations that were also ran stations to become major players in their market because there was nothing else like it on the FM band. So I think Limbaugh's is good an example as I can think of because he made the leap from small station to big station, from AM to FM and and then superstardom and so on, that it really comes down to what is coming out the speakers. And if it's not fresh and innovative and captivating and original and authentic, then no one's going to pay attention. And it doesn't matter if it's on AM or FM or streaming or anything else. This is not a game of technology. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to mm-hmm. assume that if, if you're going to be in the game, if you're, if you're a radio broadcasting company like Intercom or Saga, and you're going to be in the game, the first assumption is you have to be available where everyone is going to use you. Mm-hmm. If you're not streaming, if you're, if you're, you're not in HD, if you're, if you're not available in every fashion, on every device, every smart speaker, you're out of the game. You can't expect people to jury-rig some kind of a setup to hear you. You know, that, that, that doesn't work. So you've got to be technically in the game. But that's just the starting point. You know, that's kind of like, uh, you know, eighth-grade gym class. You know, we all had legs, so we all ran laps. But some of us didn't run as fast as others. Some of us had no interest in being athletes. And other kids were athletes. So just being in the game doesn't get you very far. The question is, you know, what do you have that's different? What skill do you have that you bring to this that are going to cause people to pay attention to you as opposed to something that they can get anywhere else, whether it's another AM or FM radio station or a streaming service or Sirius XM or whatever. That's really the game. And unfortunately, 
we are not fostering that level of creativity. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the rising stars in radio that we used to get as an example, if we had an opening at WRDU in the 1990s, which was rare, but if we did, we would look in places like Rockford, Illinois, and Wilmington, North Carolina, and Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, you know Providence, Rhode Island, because those were stepping stone markets to get to a, a station like WRDU. Well, there's nobody in those markets anymore. And, and, and the, now there are some exceptions. Let me take that back. There yeah. are some really oh, good yeah. stations in markets like that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the feeder markets, the smaller markets, just don't have live talent anymore. They, they just don't. The nighttime jocks, the overnight jocks, the great weekend people, they're just not there anymore. You know, it's all voice track. It's automated. Uh, and a lot of the prime day parts, and you can see this in the major markets, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Intercom has stations on the air. Um, just read a piece that their alternative station in Detroit has no local talent. Where is the next generation going to come from? If there's no local talent on an intercom station in Detroit, then where are we going to find the next person to do nights in Portland, Maine? Where's that person going to come from? Right? Right. And that's the thing. It's a shortage of talent. We're, we're, we're not in developing those people because they're not there. And right now, we're fighting for dear life to try to keep talent on from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m., Monday through Friday. That's the that's yeah. the big challenge right now. But there's a lot of talent out there, but they're not traditionally at the radio stations. How does management hear those folks? I mean, there's just so many. There's so many ways to do a show. You know, you raise uh, a, yes, yes, uh, it, right. But, and, but, but who's out there that's worth a flip? And the answer is, you're right. There are some people out there, and it's up to radio to find them. Our morning show on WJFK in Washington, D.C., uh, the, the Junkies, four guys that have been together for years, they went to grade school together, mm-hmm. and they were discovered on a cable access television show in Virginia. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah and that was years ago. That, mm-hmm. that, that, was, that was when there, were, there was plenty of radio talent out there. They were discovered in that fashion. So I have no doubt that that talent's there. The question is, is anyone even looking for them? Is anyone seeking that talent? And, and if they are, where are they going to put them? And who's going to take the chance on them? And how are they going to be compensated? And what if they don't work? And how much time are you going to give them to develop? You know, you're going to say, hey, well, let's see what happens in six months. Really? Six months <laughs> to, to develop a new show? It's two years. Yeah. Most stations, most companies don't have that kind of timeline. Everybody wants a proven thing. They want something they can plug in now, which, again, is why you see so much syndication. You see so much repurposing of talent Mm -hmm. from market to market. There's nothing wrong with that inherently, but it doesn't answer the question of where we go from here and where we see radio, where the next gen of talent is coming from. Uh, Because are they out there? Yes. Are we motivated to find them? We don't appear to be. Talking to Phil Zachary with uh, Saga Communications in Portland, Maine. I have to ask you this question because we're talking radio and all the great things you've done, all the interesting stories. What other business would you have done if that gig as an intern at a student radio station didn't quite pan out the way you wanted to? What would you have done? Oh, I think I would have been in the car business. And people <laughs> see nobody yeah, would have, people, I was going publishing. No, he likes to write. No, oh, he likes to talk. He'll that. probably Really? People always laugh at that. Yeah, no, because I, I've always loved cars when I, every ever since I was a child, I mean five years old, I loved cars and <laughs> I started to love music as I say when I was eight, nine years old. And, uh, you know, the, the, the history of radio is umbilically connected to the automobile um, and, and really through the dashboard. And we still 
we still own the dashboard to this day, uh, thank goodness. Um, but, you know, you can track all the trends in, in automobiles from economy cars to muscle cars to flashy Art Deco cars in the 50s and all that kind of stuff, really with what was happening in pop culture and what was happening on the radio and what was emanating through that radio in the dashboard. Um, so there's that part of it, that sort of socioeconomic, cultural part of it, if you will, sociological part of it, I guess I should say. But then the other part of it is, is it's a very lucrative business um, that's always changing. And uh, and people that are in the car business that are successful make a lot of money, a so, lot more money than people in the radio business, well, frankly. Well, yeah, they do. But would you be the guy that's driving like the Mustang with the fuzzy dice? This is what people want to know. I have a Corvette. I have a '73 Corvette <laughs> that has no fuzzy dice. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I I just love all those old cars and the stories that go along with them and the. The, the music that was playing on the radio. And, you know, when I get in my car, I'm thinking, okay, 1973, what would have been on the radio? This radio, this radio right here, what would have been on this radio? You know, tooling around in uh, in June of 1973 or 1974. That That's kind of fun. <laughs> Boston Red Sox radio networks. Okay, you've yeah. traveled everywhere. A yeah. true Red Sox fan? No, I wouldn't say I was a true Red Sox fan, but I, you know, growing up in New England, see, I, where I grew up, I was in the middle of the state of Connecticut, and oh. the, in fact, the town I grew up in was Middletown, Connecticut, so I was <laughs> halfway between Boston and New York, almost to the foot uh, by car, and uh, so there was a lot of uh, various alliances, you might be a Jets fan and a Red Sox fan, or you might be a Yankees fan and a Patriots fan, or so on, mm-hmm. so... Giants, a lot of actually, people, but okay. Well, there you go. And, and, and so, yes, I, there were, listen, there are people who were buried in their Red Sox jerseys in, in, in New England. Many, many, many people. I, I know and, that's uh, true. I know it's but not. But I wasn't, I wasn't one of those. I didn't come from that family. But uh, I can tell you that operate, or managing that network uh, was one of the greatest thrills of my professional career. And to be there... Uh, for a World Series, uh, and uh, to, to be part of all that was uh, in that place, you know. And by that place, I mean Fenway Park. It's yeah. just, uh, it's just really hard to hard to imagine being any higher up in the broadcasting world than, than that particular experience. It was just phenomenal. How many concerts have you seen at Fenway? I don't know, maybe 10, something like that. Did you see Springsteen? I know you had to have seen him in one of those. Not at Fenway. I've seen oh, okay. him other places, but I, I no, I didn't see him there. I've seen most everybody, but it may have been years ago in a place like... I was telling someone recently, I was at a cocktail party. They were talking about the Rolling Stones, I, and I said I'd seen them in Foxborough last year when they played, or 2019 when they played. And... Uh, and I said, well, have you ever seen him before? I said, as a matter of fact, I did. I said, I went to a party that they threw in New Orleans. They said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, there was a party. This was 1981, 82, something like that. And they had a party on a riverboat and, um, for like 200 people. And I was program director of, as I said, WQUE in New Orleans. And I got invited to this thing. And I had to go to three different places to get the tickets because they were afraid that people would crash the party. So I had to go to one place to get one ticket, then another place, then another place, these different places around town. And so we go to get on the boat. And, and of course, they did it on the boat so they could get off, you know, the, uh, the, go out in the river yes, so that nobody right. else could. And, and sure enough, and, and I'm sitting at a table with a couple other people and, who walks over and sits down at the two empty chairs, but Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Where was your iPhone uh, then, right? <laughs> yeah, I wish, right? And uh, and they sat and talked for a while and, and asked us if we were having a good time. And, 
And he said, yeah, you know, no, I'm having a terrible time. I'm here on a riverboat, you know, eating and drinking for free with the Rolling Stones. And Stephen Stills was standing over there and somebody else oh, was over there. Yeah. So, you know, those are the, as you know, I mean, yeah. the, those are the kind of things that, that happen in this business that make it so much fun. It does. Now, what if somebody wants to get in the business? Do your kids want to go into radio or the performing arts? I mean, you've been around it your whole working life. So Yeah, my daughter's really into theater, and uh, and I, I've just come to learn from enough people now. I'm, I'm skeptical enough that I think she's actually pretty good, so she uh-huh. is into the performing thing. I hope more people want to get into radio, and, and anytime someone reaches out to me, I drop everything, and I get them in here because I want to talk to them about it. We need an infusion of energy. Mm-hmm. We need fresh, fresh ideas. Uh, we need people to tell us we're full of crap. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I've got a guy here who's uh, 30 years old, who's a program director of our AAA station. He does a great job with that. He has tremendous music knowledge. It's amazing to me. And I just put him over our, uh, our classic hit station. And uh, we were talking about We've got a really great group PD in our company, Scott Chase, and he says, you know, Mm -hmm. it's got to be all about nostalgia and nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I said, and I know nostalgia is big right now because of the pandemic. I said, Mm -hmm. but I I don't know if we should force that. I don't know if we should do the remember when stuff. And uh, my PD there, who's, again, he's 30 years old, he goes, whenever you guys do that, this is before he sort of took it over, he said, I just turned it off. I said, who cares? Who cares who was at the, you know, Bill's drive-in when this song was on the air? Who who cares if you were driving a Trans Am? That's your vision. That's something that's unique to you. That's your personal uh, memory of that song in a particular place. But we shouldn't be force-feeding it to people because I like the music myself. I love it. I think the station's great. I just don't want to be told how old it is. And so we need oh, yeah. more people who will say that to us and say, hey, guys, keep your nostalgia. The nostalgia will take care of itself. You know, that's true. journey means something to me that's very different than what it means for my father. But you know what? It could play here and we can both enjoy it. Let's let's not overcorrect to each side. And that's the kind of conversation we need to have. And that's why we need an infusion of youth in this business. Legendary in the broadcasting business. From Saga Communications, Phil Zachary, thank you for coming in today. Really appreciate it. It was very interesting. Fun as always. Donna, my pleasure and great to talk to you. And I'm glad everything is well with your family. You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts or your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in.